O God, we give you thanks for salting us with your grace and pray that we might always have peace with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I pray that this sermon series on what is the church has been fruitful. The idea was that as we were emerging out of this pandemic and trying to reestablish some sense of normal, we needed to get back to the basics, to build on a solid foundation. So we have considered questions about the purpose of the church, why we should come to church, and what words like discipleship and faith are all about. Which leaves us with one last question. Why should we even be Christian? Now, even asking such a question reveals our modern context, where we overemphasize ideas like freedom, choice, and autonomy. To be very clear, us being Christians was God's idea long before it was any of ours. The refrain that we heard in the psalm this morning was, if the Lord had not been on our side, through and through Christianity is about God's story, not ours. We do not bring God into our lives. Rather, God brings us into the story of love that began even before time did. Now, people in different times and cultures understood this, but we have deluded ourselves with too much of an emphasis on the individual. And so we erroneously think that Christianity is something that we choose to be or not to be, that faith is up to us, that discipleship is a decision that we have to make. But that's giving ourselves far too much credit. Certainly, we have a role to play in faith, but we are the actors, not the director or the screenwriter. We're not used to this, though. Our society is infatuated with choice. What school will my kids go to? Which of the dozens of toothpaste options is right for me? Should I get vaccinated or not? Do I want to get up and go to church today or just stay home? But we have to understand just how odd we are. Most humans across space and time would be utterly baffled by this narcissistic way in which we view our lives as a series of independent and personal choices. We put so much emphasis and energy on making choices and maintaining our rights to do so that we forget the choice is just the doorway. Instead, the real question is not what choice will we make, but what will we do with what we've been given? And so the question, why be a Christian, really is a modern one, and not particularly good. We are Christians because our parents made us into one. We are Christians because although we resisted it with all of our might, the unrelenting grace of God found its way into our hardened hearts. We are Christians because God needs someone to feed the hungry, and care for the sick, and teach children, and forgive their enemies, and be generous with their money, and witness to the power of love, and for some reason, God thinks that we are the sort of people that might be useful at that sort of thing. 
The problem with asking why be a Christian is it's just so consumeristic. We expect the answer to be a list of all of the benefits that we will get if we choose this way of life. But if we're going to be really honest about it, being a Christian is probably not something that most of us would choose if we actually had a choice. Really, I mean, we're expected to love our enemies, to admit our faults and imperfections publicly, to give our time to working with people that society has trained us to look down on, to donate our money to perpetuate an institution like the church, which, to be fair, has a checkered past. And the way that you enter into this Christian faith in life is through baptism, a ritual dying to self. Christians, if they are practicing their faith, are going to stick out like a sore thumb in our culture. Now, I am not saying that the Amish are perfect at being Christians, but at least when society looks at them, they say, huh, well, you look at that. They actually believe something and live their lives differently because of it. That ought to be how people talk about us. Yeah, I know she's a little bit out there, but you know, she is one of those Christians. Now, you can certainly find a heretical version of Christianity in America. Particularly, you can find it in non-denominational congregations, but you can also find it right here at St. Luke's. It speaks to all the good things that faith does for us. It's called the prosperity gospel, where we are assured that if we have just enough faith and do just enough good things, that God will bless us with health and wealth. When we think in those terms, we're asking, well, what do I get out of this? Which really is a immature question to ask God Almighty. Life is a gift. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. And these gifts are given out of love by our loving creator who knows us far better than we know ourselves. And so the question, yeah, but why should I be a Christian, is to ignore those gifts and to confuse ourselves with God. So what then is a better way to get at this question? Because it is certainly something that we all think about. Right or wrong, we think in these terms. So instead of approaching this idea through the lens of a choice, what might it look like to think about being a Christian in terms of alignment? A metaphor that I like to use for this comes from music. Now, those of you who are musicians will have to forgive me as a non-musician if I don't get this quite right. But when I go to a symphony, I've noticed that before it starts, all of the various players unpack their instruments from the cases, and then they start warming up. But as we get closer to the start, the first chair violinist, under the direction of the conductor, plays a note. And then everyone else tunes their instruments to match that note, so that when the music begins, everyone will be in harmony. Now, when they were warming up, I am sure that every musician thought that they were already in tune. But maybe they were just off a little bit. Christians are people who know that we are out of tune. But through the note that is surrounded under the direction of God by the church, we strive to find harmony with God and others so that we can make beautiful music. And so the question of faith is not, why should I do these things and be a Christian? The question is really, do I want to be in tune or out of tune with the deepest truths of the universe? 
And I really do like this metaphor for faith, and I offer it in thanksgiving for the ministry of Matt Woods among us over the past four years. Matt has helped us all through the gift of church music to bring our voices into tune with the beautiful song of God's love. Now, the metaphor that Jesus uses is not music, but rather salt. Perhaps we are most familiar with the statement in Matthew that you are the salt of the earth. But here in Mark, Jesus speaks about being salted with fire, noting that salt is good, and says that we should have salt in ourselves. Salt, well, something that we are familiar with, is not something that we really think about that often, unless your physician has told you to lay off of it. Salt, especially in Jesus' time, was an incredibly important thing. Salt has medicinal purposes. We've all heard that phrase about rubbing salt in the wound. Yes, it is painful, but it is also healing. And though it does not taste great, most of us know that gargling with salt water can help a sore throat. Salt is essential for our body's health. Yes, too much is a bad thing, but not enough salt is deadly. And as we know from cooking, salt adds to and brings out the flavor of things. Salt is absolutely essential to make food taste its best. In the ancient world, before there was refrigeration or artificial preservatives, salt was how fish and meats were kept fresh for long periods of time. Without salt, there were food shortages. Salt was also used in religious sacrifices. As we read in Leviticus, you shall not omit from your grain offerings the salt of your covenant with God. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt was a signal for covenants and being in communion with God. And one more interesting thing about salt, it's where our word salary comes from. Salt was such a valuable commodity in the ancient world that Roman soldiers were often paid in salt, and their salt payment became known as the salarium. So when Jesus speaks about being salty, all of these various images should be coming to mind. Health, flavor, covenant, preservation, and wages. Being a Christian is about being salty. Medicinally, the salt of grace heals up our wounds. As a preservative, the salt of hope allows us to fix our eyes on God even during struggles and challenges, preserving us in God's love. As a culinary ingredient, God has salted us to bring out the flavors of generosity, compassion, and forgiveness in our world. Relationally, we are brought into a covenant with God through Jesus Christ. And as a salary, we are salted lavishly by God, not as a reward for what we have done, but because God loves us. Everything that we truly need has been provided to us by God through the church. Meaning, purpose, identity, grace, love, community, and fellowship. And so the question is not, why should I be a Christian? It's a question of whether or not we are salty salt or salt that has lost its saltiness. Now, you might wonder how salt loses its saltiness. I, I was wondering that. In the region, salt generally came from the Dead Sea, 
But the salt formations there are not pure sodium chloride. There are other minerals mixed in with it, and so sometimes the salt would evaporate out, and the only mineral that would remain was gypsum. Gypsum looks almost identical to salt, but it is not salty, because it is not salt. Chalk and plaster are made from gypsum. So imagine flavoring your eggs with some chalk. Not exactly what we're going for. And so Jesus tells us to have salt in ourselves. Be the salt of the earth that God has made us to be. And thinking about a question like, why are we Christians? That's like asking salt why it's so salty. That's just how it's supposed to be. And if we run into something that looks like salt, but it doesn't add any flavor, doesn't preserve anything, and it doesn't bring us into a relationship with God, then we would rightfully wonder what this stuff is for. And so if we have to ask why we are a Christian, well, that just tells us that we are not seeing faith in the way that God has gifted it to us through Jesus Christ. Now, in wrapping up a sermon series on the nature of the church, I would be remiss if I concluded with anything other than the Holy Eucharist. You all have probably figured out that the Eucharist is central to my spirituality and understanding of faith, but this is not something that I chose for myself. For 2,000 years, the Eucharist has been at the center of the church's identity, witness, and mission. It is how Jesus himself told us to remember him and anticipate his coming. So whether we think of our faith in terms of notes of grace or in being salty, the Eucharist guides us. Like salt, in the Eucharist we see and receive the healing mercy of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. We are brought into a relationship of peace with God and one another. We receive what we need to thrive in the form of hope, community, and love. We are preserved and nourished in the grace of baptism in this sacred meal. And the bold flavors of our faith all come out in the Eucharist, as the Eucharist reminds us of what is ultimately good and true and beautiful. It trains us how to follow Jesus in the way of the cross. It prepares us for the joys of heaven. Thinking about a return to normal must include the central practice of the church, the Eucharist, as it is the source and the summit of our faith, the place where those notes of grace sound their clearest, the table at which we receive the bread of life and become the salt of the earth. Therefore, let us keep the feast.